Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. So it's always such a great pleasure when we get to dive into books that make us think, but also kind of dazzle us with their amazing tension lines. Yeah, this is one of those projects where it looks like it's going to be something expected. It looks like it's going to be a domestic suspense novel, just like ones you've seen before. But actually, the part that's scary is how close it is to real life on the page and how well it describes things that people go through every day. And I thought that was such an interesting inversion and a really, she makes a lot of brave choices. Yeah. And that's when I, when I was reading it, I was thinking about the brave choices that she makes, but also how this is a book where the details really help tell the story. You know, you have just a simple street in a suburban setting. And, you know, the tiny details give us glimpses into where we're going and that you feel as a reader to be very active in the process of breaking down this story. So that's what makes this this conversation so much fun. I love how she talks about with her four characters, you see motherhood from four very different angles that you rarely get to hear about because these are the perspectives that people aren't generally going to offer up at dinner parties. Hey, I actually feel this way. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> That'd be some dinner party. We're so happy for this interview. We really hope you enjoy the show. Well, today we have a very special guest. Ashley, why don't you tell us about you and your amazing book, which both, I mean, Julie and I both went in with one expectation and my goodness, it was not what we expected in the best <laughs> way possible. Oh, well, thank you for having me. No, I, I love to hear that. Thank you. Um, so The Whispers is about, uh, it's my second my second novel, um, a follow-up to, to my debut, which was The Push. Um, and The Whispers is um, a story about four neighboring women on Harlow Street um, who don't quite realize the ways in which their lives are connected until there's a tragedy that happens one night on the street involving one of the families. Um, and that tragedy sort of acts as this thread that is pulled um, and everyone's lives sort of unravel after that as they sort of discover you know, long-held secrets um, within their um, four neighboring houses. Um, and they're sort of forced to confront, you know, a lot of the sort of whispers in their life that they've long ignored. One thing I find so interesting is that you set this expectation where it's going to be, and I don't want to say another, but another beautiful work with some scary things happening in the background, but it feels so different in so mm -hmm. many ways. And I was wondering if you could talk with us about that, because it just goes so much deeper into the issues that are probably like on the periphery of those novels, but no one talks about them. Um, oh. You went for it. I love that you went for it. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Jessica. I yeah, I don't know. I, I think yeah, I feel like with each book, like you don't really know what the book or I don't, I should only speak for myself, but I don't ever really know what the book is actually sort of going to become. And I feel like I had this sort of seed, the seeds of the idea for the whispers, like a long time ago, when I sold the book, when I sold the push, it was in a two book deal. And this was always the idea for the second book. Um, but at that point, it's just sort of, you know, scribbles on a page <laughs> at that point, it's not not so developed. Um, but the themes and the ideas and the characters that kind of been sitting with me for quite a while. And I don't know, for me, each book kind of grows 
goes into its own thing, especially during the revisions. I, I think what I'm learning about myself <laughs> as a new novelist, um, I still feel very new, is is that I like for me, everything is in the revision. Like I know we all talk about having very bad first drafts, but I feel like mine are, are especially bad. And I and I really need that time to kind of like dig and sort and um really kind of like build something, you know, from uh like re- rebuild, like I should say, like really like dig up and kind of like not be afraid to kind of change structure and change, you know, the direction of things. Um, so yeah, I think it's sort of, I, you know, I always hope for my books to have that, you know, thriller like quality in a sense that I, I love a book where I just want to stay up late reading and can't stop turning the pages. And, um, so I I want to give hopefully that quality of book, um, to a reader, but I also like really like to go deeper on some of these issues and kind of go to those darker places, um, to really give someone something to think about or, or something like a, something I love to hear is like from readers is that a book has lingered in them or sort of stayed with them after. And I think that's like a goal of mine is to make a book feel that way. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. There's so many interesting things here to talk about that, you know, I, I, I don't even know where to start, honestly. And I want to dive into so many subjects, but I think before we do that, can you read us the first page in your own oh, voice? Sure. Yes, I do have a copy right here. I'd be happy to. Um, so this takes place in September and it's um, in the Loverly's backyard. There is something animalistic about the way the middle-aged adults size each other up while feigning friendliness in the backyard of the most expensive house on the street. The crowd drift, drifts towards the most attractive ones. They are there for a neighborly family afternoon for the children who play a parallel kind of game but the men have chosen nice shoes and the women wear accessories that don't make it to the playground and the tone of everyone's voice is polished the party is catered there are large steel tubs with icy craft beer and bite-sized burgers on long wooden platters and paper cones overflowing with shoestring fries there are loot bags with cookies iced in each child's name the cellophane tied with thick satin ribbon the back fence is lined with a strip of mature trees newly planted lifted and placed by a crane there's no sign of the unpleasant back alley they abut, the dwellers from the rehab housing units four blocks away, the sewers that overflow in the rain. The grass is an admirable shade of green. There's an irrigation system. The polished concrete patio off the kitchen is anchored with carefully arranged planters of boxwood. There's a shed that isn't really a shed. It's door pivots and there's a proper light fixture. <laughs> so that's sort of the setup of, uh, of Whitney's backyard. <laughs> and there's well, so many little hints in there that could have been normal. Everything is pretty and then someone dies mid or mystery book. And I love that you let us keep that expectation for a while, kind of like you let your characters keep an expectation of how their lives would be for a while. And I knew this was different the moment you got to a character saying she hated that babies and children were the only things celebrated in a woman's life this way. And that's when I knew, because most of those books are like, you know, they're exciting, they're pretty, but they pretty much go along with the like, yay, suburbs, everyone be in the suburbs. You don't. You like take all of these things that are familiar and just blow them open. Thank you. But yeah, we talk about how the details tell the story, right? And like, it's the best house on the street is all this perfection. There's all of this buttoned upness that we know we're going to unravel. And as I was reading this, I was thinking of your own neighbors. And I was like, did they know she's writing this? (laughs) Yeah. It's well, it's a good question. So I, you know, I was writing this book. Um, I lived in it and we recently moved like just, you know, very like 10 minutes away. Um, but the neighborhood that I was living in, I actually was very inspired by that neighborhood, you know, for this book. It was 
um, I was living in little Portugal in Toronto. And so it was very much this gentrified um, neighborhood, you know, where it was sort of an eclectic mix of people on the street, you know, different income levels, different backgrounds. But the general feel of the street was that like people were buying up these old properties, buying up these old houses, renovating them, starting to raise their family there. It would like all of a sudden became the street where like, you know, the SUVs now were parked on the, you know, street. And and I so we lived in this, um, this ha- house on that street and our neighbors um, were an old Portuguese couple, you know, that were in their 80s. And that was very much the inspiration for Mara, who's an 80 year old character in the book. And, you know, we, the, the the people that live next to us, you know, they must have lived there for like 60 plus years. Um, they were one of the original families like to the area and to the street. And in the eight years that we lived there, um, you know, I never once had a conversation with them because they didn't speak a word of English. Um, but we communicated so much, you know, in other ways. And they really embodied this beautiful porch culture. You know, they would sit on their chair on the porch all day and sort of watch the neighborhood go by watch all the families and like we you know we we had our two kids there we were raising our you know babies there and we were doing loud annoying renovations at the back of our house and i was just so like very aware that whole time of like what was that woman's experience of motherhood like and raising her child on the street you know compared to mine right now and what does she think of me it's like what does she think of us on this street and kind of watching it all go by um so so that's i wanted to write about that dynamic you know there's that generational difference and she in the in the book you know that so Mara is very much inspired by her, but Mara is much more of a voyeur and sort of gets, you know, in in with the other families more than than this woman did. But it was that dynamic that that kind of inspired that setting. And I will tell you, Julia, what's funny now is that um, we've moved like again 10 minutes away, just the next neighborhood over. Um, but now I do live across the street from my best friend and her family. Um, we moved here specifically because, you know, they are here and our kids love each other. And um, you know, there's a park down the street. So I feel like I have have moved into something that's a little more like how Harlow Street ended up. But um, but yes, I, I feel like I must do her the service of saying not inspired by her family. Well, I think, I think that's, her at all. that's so fun because I, I was out with some girlfriends last night and we actually had a conversation about one, how close we all are and how it could go wrong. And mm. like, it was really funny because I was reading your book and we were talking about this. And I think something you did that was I don't think I've ever seen anyone as brave as you talk about motherhood from all angles, you know, and I would say that, you know, you move to some controversial places, you know, it's like idyllic idea of motherhood that Rebecca has versus, you know, like the, the, just the struggle of perfection. And then also the kind of never having your own time and like what it's for you. And there's so many things there that I felt myself being like, I need to, touch, I need, where are my kids? I need to like touch them, you know? And then you're like, you're kind of like, so talk to us about that bravery and just how close you, you came to all these subjects, you know, and, and how you moved your way through them. And oh, if people thanks. gave you pushback for not you. usually having yeah. the normal narrative about what motherhood is like. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, because the push was my first book, I didn't really know anything different, but I think at that time I just wanted to go there. Like I just really thought, I mean, I'd had my first child and um, was watching, you know, everybody around me become mothers for the first time. <clears throat> like at that stage in life, I was 32 
And I just remember thinking at that time and still do, <laughs> um, like it, it's fascinating to me that we still, you know, after all these years and all these generations, all these decades, not a lot has changed in terms of like how much we feel we can say about motherhood. And there's very much this way we are supposed to speak about it, a way we're supposed to feel about it. But if you, you know, on the surface, but if you actually have like deep vulnerable conversations with mothers, that is not how they are feeling. And that is not what they are, you know, it, that that is not the reality, I think, for a lot of mothers now. Um, and yeah, it's, it's so interesting to me. Like we, we've, you know, come so far as women in so many other ways. Um, but, but there's something very remaining about this. And I just, I love the idea of kind of like poking at that and digging into that. Um, and it is really uncomfortable. But as a writer, I think I'm always drawn to writing about the uncomfortable. Like that is what interests me. I love to explore that on the page and kind of work through that and see how uncomfortable it feels or not. Or, you know, like it's some, I think some people sort of will say like, oh, you know, how, how much of like, how much of this is your own experience on the page? And, you know, my characters are in very extreme situations, which thankfully I am not in and never hope to be in because that is fiction, right? That is, that is entertainment. Um, but I do think and hope that like readers can find sort of a seed of truth, you know, in all of these women that I'm writing about and in all of their situations. Um, so that, that's sort of what I'm interested in as a writer, I think, is that dark, uncomfortable space and probably always will be. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I think when you sit down, you have to like write the thing you really want to write for yourself, you know, and kind of take away the sort of the inhibitions of like, what are people going to say? Or what will the judgment be? You know, people will say like, what do you, what, how do you feel about like, what if your kids read your books one day? And I always think, well, that's okay. They're fi it's fiction, like all the other fiction on the shelf in our house, you know, that's fine. Um, yeah, I, I think you can't really think about that you know, when you're writing. Well, so many of the things in this book are really hard to talk about, except for an example. So when you have the woman who realizes that she has to keep in her mind all of the things that need to happen in her household, including the fact that the dryer has to be cleaned every so often, and her husband has no idea, and she wants to take those smelly rags from cleaning the dryer and leave them on his side of the bed, just so he has an idea of a small percentage of the idea of what she has to think about. Like we're just as a society starting to talk about mental load, but it's so much easier to talk about things like this, these slippery concepts in example form and in fiction. A great point. That's a really great point. And I, yeah, and I think that's why I love like writing about this space so much. Um, yeah. And I, I, I love getting into kind of the minutia of life, you know, for a woman, for a mother, for a wife, um, because you're right. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's sort of, it, I think it can be hard for a lot of women to convey or to convince people of like, you know, I have overheard many conversations, you know, between men and women that are in a relationship together where, you know, the woman will talk, you know, talk about it more abstractly, like, I feel, you know, overwhelmed, I take on everything, like, you don't understand. And, like, the partner doesn't understand, like, and then we'll say things like, well, you know, but I drive the kids to soccer, I help out with this, I help out with that. And like, without those concrete examples, you know, I think it is tough. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I love getting into those details and the minutiae and the examples in these characters' lives. And, you know, I think, yeah, I think that it can be also like with the, with the, this book has just come out. So I haven't like heard from readers yet about the whispers as much, but with the push, I did hear from a lot of women who said, like, I gave this book to my partner. You know, I, I'm, we're, we're in new motherhood. We're about to have a baby, you know, and I really wanted my partner to read this because it's a lot of what I can't like say or can't articulate in our life, but I need them to kind of like feel what this is like. So yeah, that, that's, that's so meaningful. I, I was thinking of that as like, what if 
this was mandatory reading? Or what if it was like, you know, I don't know how to describe weaponized incompetence, but turn to page 53. You know, (laughs) (laughs) that is awesome. Um, I've highlighted some portions of this book for you. I think um, I'd like you to review them and we can have a little chat (laughs) in 40 minutes. It's Um, like a a little book club for a marriage. (laughs) Oh my gosh. There's so much I want to talk about, but let's just go back to your publishing journey. Tell us about it. How did it go for you? Like, what's your process? Tell us about those early trying to get an agent days and everything else. Oh yeah. You know, I, I was very lucky with how that unfolded and um, I still look back and think, God, like, how did that, how did that happen? (laughs) I'm so glad it did. I'm so lucky it did. But yeah, I had, because I had worked in publishing, I sort of knew, like I knew how it went, you know, and I think that that gives you an advantage in a sense of like, you sort of understand like what you have to do and um, like the route to get there and how to pitch an agent and that, like, I, I sort of had a lot of that information. Um, although like I had worked here in Toronto and, um, I, and I, you know, didn't know any agents cause I was on the publicity side and not on the editorial side. And so I, I had, but I did get some advice from actually somebody, um, the, the, so the person I worked for, the woman I worked for, um, at Penguin, um, was really wonderful and supportive. And I told her I'd re- wrote this book. I was no longer working there, but I had had tea with her one day and told her I had wrote this book and I was so nervous to tell her. And she was just so wonderful and supportive about it. And she gave me incredible advice because I was going to kind of just try to like email a local agent to be like, Hey, remember me? I used to work on these books that you had at, you know, Penguin and I had this manuscript. Um, that was sort of my plan. And my, uh, this, this woman is like mentor of mine had said to me, um, you know, like she didn't, she just said, you need to think bigger. Like you, what you should do is think big, like go out to the be- some of the best agents in the world, just try, like just pitch them and just try. And sometimes I think as women, we sort of like, I think women, a lot of women can relate to this, that you you sort of feel like you have to play smaller. Sometimes you feel like you're not often encouraged to try to like take up more space in the world, you know? So, and, and she was really telling me that she was saying like, you know, dream bigger for yourself and go bigger with it. And I did. And, um, and I was really lucky to get interest from agents um, when I did that. And one agent in particular, I just really connected with and clicked with Madeline Milburn. She's based in London. Um, and she's just, she's wonderful. And I, it was funny. She, like I was doing, you know, meetings or calls with agents who like had shown kind of initial interest and she was you know all the way in London but she was going to be in New York the next week just by circumstance and she said you're in Toronto it's a quick flight away you know is there any chance you would come and have dinner with me in New York next week and I was like oh who who am I to be like flying to New York to like meet with this agent for dinner it seemed crazy um but I was lucky to be able to do that we're so close um here in Toronto and so I did I like flew to New York and I met her for dinner um and it was this really wonderful like magical time we just connected so much and I just knew right away that like I would love to work with this woman and like within days she had like book deals happening it was really crazy it was like really wild and crazy and I'm so grateful for it yeah it felt it really felt like the universe was like giving me something there (laughs) yeah I love it so much what a great story but the thing is like you 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 knew you knew the world right and so and you knew books and I think that can often really push things forward more quickly um but I just like I just I saw your screenplay your memoir in my head and I was like yeah It's amazing. Oh, thanks. No, it was really great. It was really, it was, it was special. Yeah. So there is a line in the book about how there are whispers in a lot of women's lives and they ignore them. Can you go into that topic a little bit more? What do you think most people are ignoring? Yeah. Well, you know, I'll, I'll mention this sort of anecdote about when I was 
writing the book, like writing a, the draft, early drafts of the book, um, I had, it was during the pandemic and I'd escaped for two days to like this hotel outside of the city to just work on the book um, to, cause everybody was home and it was, you know, a challenging time. Um, and I was right, you know, I'd already, I'd had this idea for like, not the whisper specifically, but this idea of women's like lives kind of speaking to them in some way. And what do we ignore and what do we listen to? And that feeling that everyone can relate to. And I got, I sort of stuck on something and needed some inspiration. And I went for a walk um, in the woods there. And I had just thrown on a podcast kind of haphazardly. And it was an Oprah podcast. And she was interviewing her best friend, Gail King. And they were having a really wonderful conversation um, about just life and friendship. And Gail quite candidly had um, described this time when she had come, you know, was busy with life, kind of, again, midlife and kids and work and all of that. And had come home one day, um, I think from a work trip or something, and had found her husband having an affair in their house with somebody they knew. And she, and Gail had sort of said in the podcast, like, I had no idea, kind of thing, like, I had no idea this was happening. And Oprah sort of stops and challenges her and sort of says, like, are you sure? Like, did you really, are you being honest? Like, did you really, if you think about it, did you really not feel like something wasn't right? Um, and then Gail kind of, you know, they they kind of laugh and they, they sort of come around to the fact that like, yeah, if you're if you're really, you know, listening to the thing, like your life is always speaking to you. Um, and it's just a matter of do you want to hear it or not? And so that was such a great example of somebody who, you know, the whispers were there, but do you want to stop and let yourself hear them? And then once you've heard them, like, what do you do with that information? Um, and it was just, yeah, it was, it was a cool moment because it was like exactly what I was writing about. And they talk about this phrase, the whispers, that's what they call them. And it just, it was such a perfect fit, you know, for this book that I was working on. Um, but yeah, I think the women in this book, um, you're right, they, 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 some of them are willing to listen and some of them are not. And I think the real question is, even if you let yourself listen to them, like, do you want to do something about it? Like, what are the consequences of that? Are you someone who is willing to blow up your life over something do you or do you like do you feel like you have the like room and you know the space in your life to like actually make a change or does it feel like the window of opportunity is closing so fast that you kind of have to put up with the decisions you've made you know and where you're at yeah so, and I think again these women are you know in these extreme situations these characters are but I think all of us have had that you know where you sort of question this decision you've made and it feels sticky and it doesn't feel good and you don't know how to get out of it um or you have this like twinge of regret regret about something that you can't reverse. So do you let yourself feel that or and acknowledge that or do you just shove it away somewhere and carry on, you know? I love how you talk about them like they're real people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They do feel real. They feel like they, they, they feel like every woman you've ever known to an extreme. And like, I think what it is is we're, we don't get to live in other women's lives like that. We get to see them. We might judge them. Oh, she's perfect. <laughs> She's got the best house. She's got the best, you know, the, you know, the best bra drawer, which I thought was really amazing, yeah. <laughs> by the way. Um, so plotter or pantser? Oh, definitely pantser. I feel, I wish I was a plotter. I wish that I, I my dream is to have like one of those cork boards on my wall with like the color coded sticky notes. Like I would just, that is my, I aspire to that. I love that, but I, I am not that person. Um, I think for me, like I, I have to leave a bit of room to wander and to kind of surprise myself as I go. And I, cause I, I really believe that like, if, as, if the writer is surprised by what's 
coming out on the page, then hopefully the reader like really is too. But there is a happy place in between that I have not found yet that I would like to get to. Because I think when you're a pantser, you end up really like revision is everything, right? You end up really revising like from the ground up, like I said, which is, has sort of been my process so far, um, which doesn't, you know, it's, it's, that's a lot of work and it doesn't, it doesn't really make for a quick, you know, it takes a long time to get there. But to me, that's, that's just, I don't know. It's the only way I've found to do it. Yeah. Well, I thought it was so interesting. I guess I asked that question because I kind of guessed you were a pantser because I, it felt like you were walking a tension line that was so organic Mm. because I was like, if you always knew exactly, you know, what was happening, your tension was so interesting where I felt like I was moving towards something. And then that last act, I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and then I mean, I love the end where we're, we're not going to spoil it for everybody. But so that tension line, like, did you do that on purpose? Did you pull that tension tighter in that revision process? And how do you, I, I know we only have a couple of minutes, but how do you do that? How do you do that effectively? Well, thank you for saying that. I don't know. I think it come. uh, Yes. Revision. I think revision, honestly, is the answer. I feel like to me, it's like a very, very much like a layering process, you know, going through and layering tension where you can and then stepping away and kind of seeing it for what it is and then going back again and trying to find more, more ways that it can work. And that I, I feel like my editors have always really pushed me on like more and more and more attention. And I, and that's so important because I think as the writer, like, yes, you want to leave room to be surprised and kind of like, you know, have, that tension be very natural and organic. So I'm glad it does come across that way. But you also, it's also can be really hard to like see your work for what it is. You know, you sort of, you need, like that's why editors are so brilliant and so helpful is because you need that other fresh lens on a piece of work. Um, And actually at one point in this, when I was doing these revisions, my main editor um, in the US, Pam Dorman, was she had asked for someone else on her team to like give it fresh eyes too. Because even as an editor, like once you know what you know, it's hard to evaluate tension again right so it I feel like it's something that everyone like on my team takes very seriously which I really appreciate you know like what where is attention coming from and how to insert more like where does it make sense um, and there's a lot of kind of I think in this book just because the timeline was kind of intricate it was there, there was a lot of like shuffling of scenes like how much are you giving the reader when and there also were times when I wanted to give the reader like a little bit more um, like there were times when I sort of wanted the reader to know what was coming in that next scene because that's also its own kind of tension like the wanting to cover your eyes because you know exactly what the character's about to walk in on sort of thing you know so yeah I just think it, it comes with a lot of juggling and revision and fresh eyes and yeah yeah that's one of the things that I always tell people. You can only read a thriller the first time once. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's hard for that. Yeah, it's true. It's it's true. Yeah. And as a writer, it's the same, it's the same sort of thing. You know, that's why, yeah, that's why that feedback is just so key. So key. Before we go, what advice do you have for the writers out there who would love to write a book that is both beautiful and covers important topics? Oh, yeah, I think just really, like really going there on the page, really, really going there, like really letting yourself dig deep. And th- when I think about the stuff that I kind of touched on this, I guess, but like where my mind always wants to go is like the place where fear lives. You know, I think if we are writing about the stuff that scares us, if we are writing about the fear, I think that that can get you to some really like poignant places, some really deep places, um, scary places, you know, and there's so much good emotion that lives there. Like that's where the real good emotion lives. 
Um, so I would say, yeah, don't, don't be afraid to like go to the scary places and like tap into the fear. And the thing that makes you the most anxious is probably also the thing that's the most fun to write about in a way, you know? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to chat with you. Oh, I was just, uh, no, the, ple- the, honestly, the pleasure was mine. This was great. I really, I loved your questions and it was so nice chatting with you. So thank you for, for your support of the book. How many of these do you have today? It must be a really full day. I hope it's a long day. Yeah, no, yeah, it's it's a long today's a long day, but it's it's great. It's so good. It's like this is the stuff that you're like it feels makes everything feel real. You know, you're just yeah. in your own head for so long, and talking about it, you start to realize like what you've actually written. <laughs> so it's, it's nice. Yeah. Well, for oh, all the couples you. who can thank point you. to this and be like, "Hey, look at this page. That's what I mean." <laughs> oh yes, thank you. Thanks, right. Jessica. That's so have nice. A, have a great day, Ashley. Thanks, Julie. Thank okay, you. thanks, guys. Bye. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.